Well, that was great to see the pictures from Count Me, and I missed it because I was in Dallas. I was heading back from Dallas, but it was a great uh, memorial service. For those of you who remember Andrew Franklin and uh, celebrating his father's life, um, just a really great time. And he sends his love, and Alex as well. They, they miss us very much as we, as we miss them. So, um, Now, I was thinking about uh, church and, and why we gather and I would just submit to you this, that we gather, and some of you maybe need to hear this again because you've forgotten, we gather in large part, not because we have it all figured out, because, but because we are needy people. Sometimes when you come into church on a Sunday morning, you feel like, wow, look at all these people, they all have it figured out, that's why they're the church people. And it's really the opposite is the case. We gather together because we don't have it all figured out, because we're on a journey, because we're seeking, because we're, we're broken we're in need. And the beauty of the community is the community becomes a place where we can work some of that out together with other people. So if you're here this morning and you look around, you go, wow, look at these people. They, they have it all figured out. No. If you feel like maybe you don't have it figured out, then this is the place for you. This is the place for you because God invites us on a journey of growth. In fact, this coming year, we have uh, a plan for each of us to grow. It's called the Discipleship Pathway, and we're inviting you in this coming year to get on the pathway. That's kind of our year theme. Get on the path of growth. And it starts with you getting connected to God and to community, and that you get grounded in the teachings of the Bible, and you get healthy facing those issues, the emotional and whatever issues that choke out growth in our lives. So many have that. We can have all this head knowledge about God, but then we're still a mess because we just haven't faced those issues. So that's what getting healthy. And then getting strong, which is learning how to serve and bless, figuring out what, what God's call is on your life. And then getting going is, is helping others to walk the same pathway. And we've created all kinds of on-ramps this year for you to be a part of this journey on the pathway of, of getting going. So we're very excited about that. Um, But we're in Hosea right now. Uh, The book of Hosea, it's one of the Old Testament prophets. And we're in the book of Hosea because all of that process of growth takes place within the context of a loving, dynamic relationship with God. And that's what the book of Hosea is about. It's about our relationship with God. And what we find in the book of Hosea is that, as I prayed, God doesn't just want us to know about him. He wants us to know him to walk with him on a daily basis. Can you imagine that? The living God, the creator of the universe, wants to walk with you and do life with you on a daily basis. And he's actually available to you. He's the living God. Okay? He's, not some, he's not contained in some dead book that you learn about. He wants you to know him Directly, And he's inviting you on this journey of growth. And so that pathway is not some static methodology. It takes place within the context of relationship. And God is inviting you onto the pathway to grow. And he wants you to be in relationship with him. And he's going to superintend the process of the journey. And that's a beautiful thing. Now the book of Hosea, uh, this is our second week, so I still have to give this warning. Uh, this is like viewer discretion advised in the book of Hosea because it's an amazing story of a prophet that God calls to marry a prostitute and to demonstrate to Israel the nature of his relationship, God's relationship to them. What he's going to say basically is, do you see this poor prophet who is married to this prostitute? 
says, my relationship with you is like that. I'm your husband, God says. But you are chasing after other lovers. You are pursuing other gods. You are worshiping, in this case, in the book of Hosea, the problem is the worship of Baal, this god of fertility, and very much involved with sex and sexuality. And so they're worshiping this god, and and, and Gomer, the wife, is caught up in this. And so that the, the nature of it's different, but the, the bottom, the principle is the same, and it's one that we deal with as well. We do the same. We chase after other lovers, other gods. God stands waiting and wanting to be in that kind of intimate relationship like, like a married couple with us, covenant love. And we chase after other lovers. Maybe it's not Baal. None of us have probably been worshiping Baal this week and need to repent of that, but we chase after other similar kinds of things. And so in our world, in our day, it looks like when we chase after, for example, the idol of approval of others, and these idols, they have houses of worship too, like the entire network of social media is the house of worship of approval, right? And that can become an idol to us. Um, we sometimes chase after sex as well, like in this case. That would be the house of worship like the rest of the internet, right? Um, or other, other means for us to chase after that idol. And sometimes it's, it's the idol of cash, and, and the house of worship is the bank. And we, we, we put our faith and our trust, our ultimate trust, into what's in the bank account. Um, sometimes it's the idol of comfort in the houses of worship or Ikea, and the Home Depot, right? You wander around, if I just had that, I would be so comfortable in my house, insulated from all the things. Or it's the idol of control. And it's amazing. We have this little thing in our pocket which can turn any place we are into the house of worship of control. Because we can pull our phone out and just master the world around us in so many different ways. So we maybe don't worship Baal, but we're just like Gomer in that we, we worship Idols. And this is the important part of the metaphor, but it's not even a metaphor because Hosea actually marries Gomer, this prostitute, and demonstrates. This is the important part. Is God is saying, you know, when we do those things, when we, when we chase after idols, it's not just sort of like a whoops moment, right? Oh, sorry. It's literally like cheating on your spouse. Those are the stakes. That's what God is saying is happening when we chase after idols. We put our ultimate faith and our trust in things that are not God. And yet the book of Hosea has this beautiful theme where God is singing a love song to us. Even though we've been unfaithful, to woo us back into relationship with him, And that's what we're going to explore together this morning. That love song that God is singing over us and to us to woo us back into relationship with him. My guess is we've all participated in the kind of idolatry that I've described in maybe multiple forms this week. And we all need to hear the song of God to woo us back. Would you open up to the book of Hosea? We're going to be looking in chapter 2, starting in verse 2. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. And we'll pass one to you 
In that Bible that we hand out, it's on page 515, 515, uh, the book of Hosea in the Old Testament. If you have a different Bible, just go to the table of contents, look it up. Um, I'm going to be reading this morning, again, from the Christian Standard Bible. So I'm sort of exploring. Uh, I've been reading through this Bible. I'm, I'm getting pretty close to being done with reading the whole thing, and I really am loving it. Um, it's a very good, solid translation. Uh, so it's going to sound perhaps a little bit different than what you see. If you have a phone, you can actually probably pull up the Christian Standard Bible, and then you'd have the same exact wording that I have. Okay, so um, we're going to talk about two different things. We're going to talk about the condition of our marriage with God. And then we're going to talk about what God is doing about that as in the time that we have together. And there's a lot of text here, and so I just, I just can't read the entire thing. Um, it, I, I need to take some time to explain it. In chapter 2, the first section, verses 2 through 13, is really about the condition of our marriage with God. And it starts off with um, Hosea talking about pleading his case for the broken marriage he has with Goma. And, and you always have to remember that in the background of all of this is God's relationship with his people. So it, it's about Hosea and his relationship with Gomer, but it's about God and his relationship with his people. And it starts off in verse 2, um, and it, 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 Hosea says, Rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. And you know a marriage is in a bad place when you start pleading to the kids, Right? If those of you who've been married for a while and you have kids, you've been tempted in those moments when it's really hard, you know, and you know the wheels are coming off when you turn to the kids and start justifying yourself to the kids about what your spouse is doing, right? We all have had that temptation to be there, and, and probably some of us, I think I probably stepped over that line a few times in my life. You just know, because then everything's turned upside down, and that's the level of intensity we have here. This relationship has gotten to the point, to the breaking point, to the frazzled end, and Hosea is pleading his case, explaining the depth of the brokenness of this relationship. And it's really Hosea's case against Gomer and it's God's relationship with his people. And I want to remind us that in this, we should all see ourselves as Gomer. Male and female, that's, that's who we are. We are all the Gomer of this story, the wife who is cheating on her husband. Now, there's been lots of stories in the news these days about abuse towards women. And I have been watching those and reading them and thinking, and I'm preaching Hosea. And what is the connection, if there's any connection here? And, and, and I just want to be very clear as we read this text in, in Hosea that this is, this is not that. Okay, This is the case where, where a woman really is pursuing another lover in the midst of the relationship. So it's not like behind the scenes Hosea is actually abusing Gomer, that's not what this story is. We are all Gomer in this story. That's the point, male and female. We've broken the covenant with our spouse. That's how we get. Now, you might ask the question, well, how does Hosea speak into the situation and the situations, there have been multiple of them, of abuse that we have seen coming out in the news so much recently? And the way 
to connect it into this story, again, is, is through Gomer. The men who abuse women are men who've made an idol of sex and power. That's the connection point. They've made an idol of sex and power to the point where uh, they're willing to deface the image of God in another person to get what they want. And you see in that the, the very destructive force of idolatry. That it causes us to fracture our relationship with God, to destroy the people around us, to deface the image of God in them, and then ultimately also to destroy ourselves. That's the power of idolatry. So it's not even just the only, it's not only with the idol of sex and power, it's any idol that we would put in that place. Um, it has that incredible destructive power. I'm going to play with this a little bit, go out on a limb here a little bit. What's noteworthy of late is that some of this abuse is taking place in what we would have considered would be sort of the progressive bastions of our culture. Places where we would least expect, like Uber, Uber, for example, where you know, we're in San Francisco and we would expect that we would have made the greatest strides. Or in Silicon Valley, there are a number of you know, examples. If you pull up the news and you look at you know, sexual abuse or those kinds of terms in Silicon Valley, you see, oh, this is in the Bay Area. We wouldn't expect it to be so, right? And then in Hollywood, we would, this is another bastion of, and I'm not attacking progressivism necessarily either. I have a different point that I want to make. These are happening in these places where you think that we would have made the, the biggest strides. Here's the point about idolatry. It's a strong reminder that neither the progressive or the conservative political or social enterprise is ever going to get us to the place that we want to get to in some of these deeply rooted sins and idolatries in, our, in the world around us. We, we, because the reason is because it's a heart issue. It goes deeper than all of that. It's a heart issue. And we live, here's, here's an interesting, I'm just going to keep going with this. This is an interesting dynamic, and I think this is going to come out more, and we're going to explore the elements of this. Um, we live in the land of, of activism, right? That's what the Bay Area is known for. We are activists. Activism. And I love, I think that the younger in the church, the younger generation is pushing us to be more activistic, to be more engaged in the world with some of the injustices that we see, the biblical injustices that we see. And this is really, really good. We need to be more activistic as the community of faith. We need to be more engaged on some of these issues. We need to be pushed. And the younger generation, I think, is sort of pushing us in these ways. And that's good. We have to be careful of is not putting our faith in activism. So this is, the, this is the line that we walk. This is the dynamic. We need to be more activistic, more in pursuit of biblical justice, but not putting our faith 
in activism because ultimately it doesn't go deep enough. It doesn't ultimately root out the idolatries in our hearts. And that's why we proclaim the gospel because that's what the gospel does. The gospel has the power to overcome the idolatry in our heart. That's God's domain. The heart is God's domain. And you'll see that in this text further on. Our problems lie in our hearts. And God wants to speak into that. And this is the point, really, this kind of idolatry in all of its various forms. There's so many things that are good in the world that yet can become idols. We can put our ultimate hope and desire in them. That's what's so tricky about this. You can be engaged in some really good things. You can love good things, things like family, you know, and yet they can become idols. They can become ultimate things. And we put our hopes in them, and that's when they've crossed over from being a good thing to an ultimate thing, and they'll never deliver in the ultimate ways we hope that they can. And that's what God wants to lift us from in the process of the book, reading through the book of Hosea and understanding the nature of idolatry and all of its different kinds of forms in the book of Hosea. This is the point of Gomer married, she's married, but she's chasing after other lovers. That's the point. It's a heart problem. And we are too. We're, we're married to God or, or, or God is standing there inviting us into a relationship with him and we're chasing after other lovers. That's the point. And so we chase after, and I mentioned some of these already, um, the, the idol of control, of comfort, for example. If I have this quality of life, I will be fulfilled. I will have arrived or I will have what I need. Or we chase after the, the idol of control. If I just master this element in my life, then I will be satisfied. Or we chase after the idol of cash. And, and if I have the money, then, or approval. If they like me, if they give me favor, then I'll feel good about myself. Or sex. In all different kinds of ways, we chase after fulfillment or power, as I've been talking about. And when we do that, it's like cheating on a spouse. It's like we are pretending devotion to our, our spouse, but we're, we're just going through the motions and we're cheating on our spouse because we really love other gods. Look with me in verse 5 of chapter 2. Their mother is promiscuous. She conceived them and acted shamefully, for she thought, I will follow my lovers the men who give me my food and water, my wool and flax, my oil and drink. Verse 8, she does not recognize that it is I, God says, or Hosea says, who give her the grain, the new wine, and the fresh oil, and I lavish silver and gold on her, which they used for Baal. So many times, we think we're getting from these idols what we need and long for, but actually it's not from them. Everything that we have is from God, and we fail to recognize. We take what God has given and attribute it to other things. That's what it's saying. And then verse 13, halfway through, she put on her rings and her jewelry and followed her lovers. That's us. And here's the summary, but she forgot me. 
This is the Lord's declaration. She forgot me. God is heartbroken of the state of the marriage. Our covenant relationship with them. We have broken God's heart. We have forgotten God. This is his declaration. So what's God going to do about it? That's the the second piece. What is God going to do about this situation, the condition of our marriage? And this is a lesson in how God woos us back into relationship with him, to covenant love with him. And, you know, it's after he outlines the case against his marriage, against Gomer, Um, Then, in verse 14 of chapter 2, he begins to discuss how he's going to woo her back. Therefore, I am going to persuade her, lead her to the wilderness. And you have to to think of this on three levels. It's It's Hosea and Gomer. It's God and the people of Israel. But it's God and us sitting here today as well. Okay, so all three of those are happening at the same time. Therefore, I am going to persuade her, lead her to the wilderness, and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her vineyards back to her and make the valley of Achor, that word means trouble, into a gateway of hope. There she will respond as she did in the days of her youth, as in the days she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, This is the Lord's declaration. You will call me my husband and no longer call me Baal, the capricious God God of fertility who sometimes shows up and doesn't show up. You could get rid of that guy and call God the creator uh, my husband. Skip down to verse 19. I will take you to be my wife forever. I will take you to be my wife in righteousness, justice, love, and compassion. When they were betrothed, uh, in that day, they would give silver to the family uh, of, the, of the wife. The husband would give silver. Well, God's going to give righteousness, justice, love, and compassion. That will be his betrothal. And then, in, uh, uh, I will take you to be my w- wife in faithfulness, verse 20. And you will know the Lord. On that day, I will respond. This is the Lord's declaration. I will respond to the sky. Not Baal. Baal's not the one who brings the rain, who causes the land to produce fruit. And it will respond to the earth. The earth will respond to the grain and the new wine and the fresh oil. And they will respond to Jezreel, which means God will sow. I will sow her in the land for myself. And I will have compassion on Lo Ruhamah. Do you remember that child that was born who was called No Pity? Not pitied now. He will have compassion. He will have pity on the people of God, on Gomer. I will say to Lo-Ami, which means not my people, you are my people. So God reverses the names. We talked about this last week. And he will say, you are my God. And so in that first part, um, we're talking about God's relationship to Israel. And now Gomer, excuse me, Hosea goes out and he enacts this drama in his relationship with Gomer. He actually goes and woos her back and, 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 and brings her back and refashions their relationship. Chapter 3, then the Lord said to me, Hosea says, go again and show love to a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Just as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. Part of the cult of worship in Baal was the sweet cakes 
So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and five bushels of barley and to pay off her debts. I said to her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be promiscuous or belong to any man, and I will act the same way toward you. For the Israelites must live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, and without ephod or without household idols. Afterward, the people of Israel will return, underline that word, return, and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come with awe to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. It's a lesson on how God woos us back away from our idols into vibrant relationship with him. After we've cheated on our very God, on our spouse, he woos us back into relationship with him. And there are several movements of his process. First of all, in the previous section, he said he's going to remove her support. He's going to stop supporting Gomer because she's using everything that he's giving her to go and pursue her lovers. And that's what we do, right? We take what God is... ah, Think back on your life and the blessings that God has given and how at times you've taken those very blessings from God who intended you to use them for his glory, and you went and used them to chase after your other lovers. How many times have I done that? You know? When you have kids and you start parenting, you watch that take place. You give them allowance. You give them money, and they go spend it on things that you didn't want them to spend it on, and you sit there, and it, it breaks your heart. They're taking what you've lovingly given and using it for, right? So God removes his support. Because he needs, he needs to get their attention. That's number one. But then he also blocks the way. And these are moments of grace when God removes his support and he blocks the way. Right? That's grace. I think about my life and I think about the times, gosh, some really, really stupid, awful things in my life. And even so, I can imagine how it would have been worse if not for the grace of God in stopping me, right? He blocks the way. It's part of his grace. He keeps us from from traveling headlong all the way down the path of self-destruction in the pursuit of our idols. He blocks the way. That's what Hosea will do with Gomer, and that's what God does with his people, and that's what God does with us. He removes support, and he blocks the way. But then here's the thing that he, that, that's really the focus. He leads us into the wilderness. Wilderness, wilderness is such an important theme throughout the entire Bible. Jesus spends time in the wilderness. The whole people of Israel spend time in, in the wilderness, after they come out of Egypt, wilderness, wilderness. Uh, you know, John the Baptist is out in the wilderness. Wilderness is a very, very important concept in the teaching of the Scripture and in the process of God's wooing us back into relationship with Him. We need time. Well, why do we need time in the wilderness? Because it's in the wilderness where all of our we're broken from the habitual. Pursuit of our idols. That's what happens in the wilderness. 
We're deprived. If you've spent time in the wilderness, you know that's what happens. You're deprived of all the comforts that you're used to. It's difficult. You have less. And that's good. In a spiritual sense, it's what we need. It's part of what God does to woo us back. He's got to get rid of the clutter on your Sabbath. Turn your phone off. Let it sit there for a little while. Because what does God do in the wilderness? He speaks tenderly to us. In fact, what it says in the text is He he says, I will speak tenderly to her heart. But first of all, we've got to remove the distractions. If God's going to speak tenderly to us, we have to remove the idols that we continually chase after, our lovers, so that God can speak to us tenderly. He speaks to the heart. And then out of that come a bunch of other things which are outlined in this. He, re- he removes us from the bondage to the idols. Um, he gives us security We call him husband. There's harmony with creation. So that's an interesting dynamic here. That as God calls us into the wilderness and woos us and speaks tenderly to our heart and brings healing and our relationship is restored, it begins to affect the physical world, the, the environment around us, which is a beautiful dynamic because the reason the world physically is in such a mess is because of our broken relationship with God. You know that, right? Our sin introduced the fallen effect of this world which has touched the environment itself. And so in a number of uh, sections in this, it talks about uh, that that relationship being restored between people and God's creation. That's another one. And then fruitfulness um, that that comes, no longer will it be people going to Baal to ask Baal and doing these fertility rites to try to get Baal to bring crops in the land, but God himself will open up the sky and cause it to rain as we renew and restore our relationship with him. And all of it is done. This is the amazing thing, and and this is a, a really important element of your relationship with God, something you need to go back to over and over again. The one who takes care of all of this is God himself. It's his work. It's his job to woo us back into relationship. Look at verse 19. I will take you to be my wife forever. I will take you to be my wife in righteousness, justice, love, and compassion. I will take you to be my wife in faithfulness, and you will know the Lord. God does it. In fact, his commitment outlined in these verses hundreds of years early will give birth to this great act on the cross where God takes on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and actually gives himself an atoning sacrifice. And in that moment, he pays the price, the righteousness, the justice, the love, the compassion in the person of Jesus Christ. It's all paid in full so that the relationship with God can be healed completely. That's the extent of his love, and that's what it will give life and birth to in the person of Jesus Christ. And all that we bring to the table in this whole process is found there in chapter 3, verse 5. It's this little word. Afterwards, the people of Israel will 
return. Shuv is the Hebrew word. Or turn would be another way to translate that. Or repent. That's what it is. Turning, repenting, they're the same thing. Like when lovers have a fight and it's cold and icy and you are turned away, you picture that moment. You're sitting over here. The person you love is turned away, looking out the window, right? You're talking, kind of, but you're not looking at each other. And your heart is breaking, and it hurts. And you keep going, and it's 2 in the morning. (laughs) And finally somebody says something, or somebody breaks or cracks and, and says and apologizes. And there's that moment where you turn, right, back to one another. Just remember that moment. That's the moment that God is setting up for you and for him. He's already turned. His... His face is, he, he's, if you want to think of it, he sits in heaven with his, the Bible talks about him, his posture being bent towards us. And that posture has already resulted in all the giving, all the doing that God needs to do on his part, the forgiving, the loving, and he's just waiting for us to turn, to look away from our lovers and to turn to him. That's what he set up for you this morning. Whatever lover you've been chasing after this week, God's already set it up for you to turn, to humble yourself, and to turn to God. He's already set it up. So, the question is this. What is your valley of Achor in verse 15 there? The valley of Achor is trouble. That's the valley of trouble, and, and, and it's a place of hardship. It's the desert. It's deprivation. And God says he is going to turn that very place into a gateway of hope for you. The valley of Achor becomes the gateway of hope. That's what God is doing. He's turning that valley of deprivation of wilderness into the gateway of hope. So my question to you is, what are you being deprived of right now? What have you been deprived of right now? Think about that. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Show us what are the things we have been deprived of right now? And then the question, that's our wilderness. The question is, what are we going to do? Are we going to sit in that wilderness and allow God to speak tenderly to our hearts? Or are we going to try and cover it over? Have you ever been camping with a gearhead? You go out into the wilderness and you're going to experience the wilderness. And then this person brings out like a chair that's this and a hammock and a cooler and a special hat and a shade and a table and a jacuzzi And all of a sudden, you're not in the wilderness anymore. And spiritually, that's what we do. God 
brings us into the wilderness, deprives us, and we can't handle being there, so we pull out our phone to distract ourselves. Because we're afraid of sitting there and allowing God to speak tenderly to our hearts. But that's where the good stuff happens. I was on a plane yesterday morning. Well, you guys were doing Count Me In. Really wishing I could have been there. I was on this plane and I was exhausted because I left at 3 in the morning the day before and then flew back 24-hour trip you know, to go to the funeral of Andrew's father. And I woke up on the plane after about two hours. And when I wake up, Jody will tell you, it's, this, is, this is Satan's heyday with me, okay, when I get up in the morning. It's a disaster. Um, I'm depressed. I'm hating life. I just feel all of the world crashing in on me. And some of you know what I'm talking about. I can tell. Um, Satan just loves that moment for some reason in my life. And he just goes after me with all of his claws and tentacles and whatever he has. Tentacles. And just, but that's what it feels like, I guess. Um, and, and, and so I woke up on the plane, and I was already emotionally drained from being at this funeral, being with, you know, Andrew. He's my son in the ministry. I love this kid. Not a kid anymore. You know, um, and just emotionally drained. And um, I woke up, and, and there's, that's the moment. See, see, this whole thing that we're talking about plays out in these moments. What are you going to do in that moment? I have noise-canceling headphones that I can put on, and I could just start blasting the music on the plane. Or I could say, okay, God, I'm in the wilderness right now. I'm in the desert, and I need you. I need you. So, I mean, typical God, right? I pull out the Bible, and I start reading where I pick up where I've left off, and I'm in Psalm. I read a couple of Psalms, and then... I get to Psalm 84, and, and by the way, I'm looking out the window. I, I usually have aisle seat, but I got stuck in a window seat. I'm looking out the window, and there's the Sierras, and I'm flying right over Cherry Lake and Hedge Hetchy, and I can see them all down there where I hike, and it's glorious. And I'm flying over that, and I'm reading Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of hosts. And then it says... I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. And then it gets more intense. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. I I didn't finish memorizing that, but I started to memorize that right then. Instead of escape, sitting in the wilderness and allowing God to meet us there and to bring his transformation. This is the level of intimacy that God wants with you and with me. It's not a once a week thing. It's a daily relationship. And it's, it's, it's in these little choices where we reach for one thing or the other, where we decide to pray or to take matters into our own hands. And as we develop this intimacy with God, suddenly all those idols become faint, they, they glow less, they don't have the same kind of draw and pull in our lives because we're having our needs met in the one who, only one who can actually meet them, the one who made us. That's what 
Hosea is about. God is singing a love song to woo you back into relationship with him. And the question is, will you listen? Lord, help us to listen. In the midst of the wilderness of our lives, and undoubtedly we are living in that right now, many of us. Speak tenderly to our hearts. Woo us into moment-by-moment relationship with you so that whatever we do in this world, and I hope we become more and more activistic in this world, but whatever it is we do, it's grown out of a depth and a walk with you that is unshakable. It's directed and guided by you. That's what we want. But it starts with you speaking tenderly to our hearts. So speak, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.